Broadcasting from Washington, D.C., this is Insider's Guide to Energy. Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy. This week, we're going to do something a little different. Jeff and I are just going to pontificate and share some of our experiences and let you, the audience, know more about what we're experiencing as we make this podcast. Jeff, how's it going today? It's great, Chris. And honestly, it's nice to get to talk to you directly because we're always talking, but usually with somebody else in the room. So I'm really curious to hear about your experience and and especially in the re-entry to the US, what you've noticed in the differences in cultural, uh, business attitudes, comparing your life in Europe now to uh, re-entry on the East Coast? Yeah, I'd have to say um, coming back home to the US and back into the DC area, um, it, it was a bit eye-opening. So while we started the podcast, did over three years of this podcast out of Zurich, Switzerland, working in the energy business, uh, I, I've got a really lot of exposure how Europeans think about energy, how Europeans think about climate change, and you know what they're individually trying to do to change things. Um, I would come back in and out of the U.S. I was in Houston quite a bit for work. Uh, energy, you know, you can't avoid Houston, uh, New York, or anywhere that had energy, even Colorado. And 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 you know, I'd, I'd interact with people in the energy business, so I, I could tell there was a delta um, between the thinking. But when I moved back, it really hit home how different Americans view energy than perhaps our European friends. Um, and what we expect from from, from you know, energy and what's going on, and and I'm amazed at the amount of pushback and politicism of energy because it becomes a very dividing political discussion with many people that you talk to. Yeah. Well, first of all, what I really like about the show, what I enjoy about your perspective and the framing here, is that this is an energy show not a climate show, not a political show. And even though we might have our opinions, the goal in the discourse is to hear more voices and to have a balanced consideration of of multiple sides. So I really appreciate that. My personal motivation and perspective around energy is that it has the potential to be a unifying factor. So I certainly acknowledge that there's a lot of political rhetoric on either side, but what do California and Texas have in common? They're some of the largest renewable energy markets in the country. And so who doesn't like cheap, steady, reliable power? So I think that that is um, hopefully a, a unifying issue. And I, I try to bring that lens whenever I can. Well, I think everybody likes power. Energy is important, right? Whether it be for the economy, for production, whether it be electrons coming into my home to light it, to keep my heat pump going or my air conditioning going, whatever I want to want to do. Um, I think everyone's there. Uh, w- what I found is people aren't as excited to have 
things shoved down their throat. So for having done this podcast, I think I started pretty naive and, and I've had people listen to the transition of me over the last few years during the podcast because you start and things are pretty black and white. You know, well, it's like, well, yeah, I, I don't want to have more hurricanes or I don't want to have more hundred year events. So, you know, yeah, I'm willing to do something to, to have energy, you know, be cleaner. Um, and then you realize the complexity of, of changing things and the importance of the economy and, and quality of life and all the issues that come in. It, it, it's not simple. And, and that's one of the things I enjoy about the podcast is we bring people on uh, during the pre-call. We always say, look, we're not investigative journalists. Uh, we want to hear what your points are. We want to hear what you have to say. Now, we all have opinions and we all, you know, we might push back on something someone says, or we might let someone voice their opinion, but what I'm of the belief is our audience is intelligent and that if you're exposed to the right data, you'll make informed decisions on your own. You don't need me driving my agenda down. Um, and, you know, in the pre-call here, when you and I were talking, you know, I was laughing about one of the guests we had on recently. Uh, you know, I, I had someone come on in the comments and they were really upset that, that we brought this guest onto a podcast. It really focuses mostly about energy transition and energy matters. And, you know, it was a guest that wasn't a believer in, in maybe all the things and, and pushed back a bit on a lot of the premises that we had. But yet we gave him airtime and spoke to him. And, and my thought was that you, the audience, would want to hear that. So that, that's kind of where I'm at these days with the podcast. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And um, I, I do obviously personally and globally think climate is a huge motivator. But also there are a lot of near-term visceral motivators beyond climate. Like that is not the sole path to clean energy or energy transition. I love, by the way, it used to be alternative energy and now it's energy transition. Now you almost have to specify if you're going to talk about uh, fossil energy. So, uh, but but I, I think there's multiple paths to get here. Like many transition products, I use LEDs, EVs, rooftop solar, these are cases where it's literally just a better product. It is a better experience. An LED has more functionality than an incandescent bulb. I, I get that people don't like being told that they can't have incandescent bulbs, but LEDs are just better on multiple fronts. And you don't have to be into climate change to be into LEDs. You don't have to be into climate change to like the G-forces of the acceleration of an electric vehicle. It's just a better product. And so I think there's, um, you know, again, multiple routes into uh, into energy transition. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I was frustrated in the early days when LEDs were mandated, right? And they, they came out and you had to go buy bulbs and they're you know, more expensive. Yes, they live a lot longer and, and, and maybe have better functionality and different light values. Um, but it was a frustrating process to have that mandated. So, you know, where my Americanism comes in is like, I don't like anything mandated. Free market works, right? Um, you know, early in the process, we interviewed the the CEO of Total Power um, in Asia, and he had come on and and he made the point in one of our interviews that, you know, when solar became competitive, cost competitive is when it really took off. It wasn't just the the policy of a corporate board saying, "Hey, we want to be environmentally friendly." Yes, we'd like to do that, but with shareholder value and things like that, where where their customer base really rocketed is when solar got to the point where the economics just made sense for a business to go do it. So, you know, I, I look at a lot of the energy topics that we cover and look at the business side of it and say, hey, it's a business angle, right? Um, 
early on, I don't know if you ever listened to stories, but Will did a story. He was one of our producers on the show, a uh, friend of the show. And, and it was, I, I cracked up because he came on, was co-hosting with me on an episode and he just assumed because our guest was doing renewable energy that they were bleeding heart liberal. And he made some really liberal, crazy comment. And, and I, I kind of scratched my head. I was like, well, that's a big assumption. And, and the guy lit him up because he wasn't, he was just a businessman looking at how to do business. And it happened to be that his business goals and energy transition goals aligned nicely. And there was a nice revenue path there. So he was doing what many would consider the right thing, which others would just consider business. And it was funny just that, you know, you can't just judge someone that's in energy, especially in the energy transition based on politics, because I think you're going to get it wrong more often than you think these days, because as long as there's a solid business model, why, why wouldn't someone go do these things? Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that the it's more of a blurred line these days. There's a, a heaven, heavy amount of state investment. If we look at something like airlines, right, this is a case where you have a large enough, a large enough and important enough infrastructure base that you have state level intervention. Boeing, Airbus, like these are things that don't just operate on the free market because they're big and important enough. I think energy infrastructure is is one of those and we're seeing post IRA a continuation of state energy policy at least through the tax code. Uh that certainly happened internationally with um with China at least in the incentivization of of manufacturing base. So these are more um, connected than I get. Maybe they've always been connected. That uh, energy has always been a priority for state governments, and in some ways, the uh, investment is there. Going back to the the shale revolution that started with with government sponsored R and D. So I see this as more of a connected rather than separated, but. Look, it's all in the mix. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it definitely exists at a level where not everybody has to uh, be invested at every single level. It is possible to just run a business, talk to your customers, deliver them value, and not worry about all the macro and, and state level policies. Yeah, I think, you know, the, 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 you, you certainly will get comments if we start talking the politics and going in, but energy and politics, politics go together because policy is fundamental, energy security is fundamental to countries. The economy, it's its its fundamental. Um, I think what I found moving back from Europe to the US is we don't like to be dictated to, right? You, you mentioned the airlines as an example. And if you fly in the summertime in Europe and you go on your plane, they can't fire the engines up until just a few minutes before you leave by ordinance in the country you're in. And so you're sitting in a 90 degree sweltering heat of a plane for energy, right? Whereas I think, you know, an American perspective might be is there a way to do that in a greener way and keep you cool and comfortable so you don't forgo the quality of life that we have, um, but yet we have a heat pump on the ground that maybe pumps air in while you're sitting on the ground in the tarmac or whatever. Not that they don't have these things, but I, you know, air conditioning is one thing, or flying in particular is another one. You know, Americans like to travel. We're, we're a free nation. We have passports. We go all over the world. And then the question is, you know, where, where do mandates come in, right? Where Where's it? your right to go do things and where does it become for the common good or whatever. And I think that's where, where the big difference is. I think Europeans are more apt to let their government dictate what they can do for, for what they believe a greener policy um, than, than the United States. Whereas I think here we need to make the choice individually. We're trained to be, you know, that we want to get what we want. Um, and so what you need to do is lay the facts out 
in a way that people can actually get them, which is getting harder and harder. And that's one of the reasons the podcast, I think, is, is so interesting. So that, you know, if you're into energy and you want to hear about something, you can find find data. We try to uncover things that aren't just on every energy podcast. We try to get, you know, the finance behind it so you can look at the business. We try to talk about, you know, emerging technologies or companies or business models. Those are things that, to me, are so fundamental to the success of energy that, that I hope we communicate that to our audience week over week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that definitely from a from an American perspective of of not wanting to be told what to do. It, these these decisions are getting personal, though. I think earlier you you brought up the idea of where people live or buying property, things like this. There's a real trend now where um, mortgage markets are being impacted because insurance companies are no longer interested in taking on. Florida hurricane risk or California wildfire risk. And there's a trend of insurers just exiting mortgage markets. So they're not providing property insurance that is required by the mortgage lenders. So this determines whether or not you can get a mortgage or influences heavily the sort of month to month costs that everybody has to bear. So that is more of a free market influence where actuarial tables, climate models are dictating the behavior of insurers that's dictating the behavior of banks. And that's influencing where people live and, and buy property. So in some ways, we'd, we'd like to not be told what to do, but you can't, yeah, who am I to blow against the wind, right? Like what, whatever the weather is doing, that does uh, in some ways dictate our behavior. Yeah, I think it does. I think what, what I also see in, in having grown up and gone to school here. Um, people have seen this movie again and again and don't know what to believe. So part of the challenge you have of folks that are very, very strong believers in climate change and what energy should do and what pe- people should do, and they're projecting that out. And so if I recall, I remember my middle school science teachers telling me that by 2000, there wouldn't be any more oil in the world. And they were adamant about it. And, and you know, they, there was all kinds of you know, alarmist type things going on and that the world wouldn't be there and that, you know, my lifetime will be a really different place. And innovation and technology, like you talked about shale, you know, when it got to a certain price or you're getting harder to find reserves or uncovering reserves were there. Um, And so people that have seen this before don't see this as different, right? So, so, you know, there's folks going, well, why are we changing the energy? You know, we're just changing the countries we're beholding to. So rather than pumping oil out, I mean, U.S. fortunately is, can be energy independent because we have a lot of gas and, and shale and other abilities, but, you know, you, you just change it. Now I'm going to Congo to get minerals or now I'm going to, you know, where China's got battery control. So I'm really just changing the, you know, from the devil we know to when we don't know. Um, that seems to be prevalent in a lot of these conversations I have with folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a book that I'm uh, that I'm reading that I would highly recommend that talks about a couple of these different approaches. It's called The Wizard and the Prophet, and it talks about two different approaches to environmentalism. One that's a little bit more on the conservation side and alarmism or, or doomerism, as we're hearing it now, which is we're running out. We've got to conserve. We've got to stop doing all this. And then the other one, uh, the side of the the prophet says we can engineer our way out of this problem. Whatever scarcity exists, we'll find more efficient ways, more efficient technologies. And it talks about the history and the origin of both of these perspectives and how they influence our approach. So the the peak oil, uh, what you referenced there, is more of the sort of 
uh, profit or for, for seeing, hey, the, the, the end of days or we're all going to run out. And the wizard approach would say, well, no, we'll just find more ways of, uh, of extracting. So I, I agree. I think that there has been a lot of alarmist narratives, uh, limits to growth, population bomb, all these things in the 70s and 80s um, that were more alarmist and really have proven to not really be the case. Um, uh, that said, we are looking at maybe peak demand on oil, right? So it's another it's another form and in some ways frees us maybe from some of the geopolitical constraints. Boy, we're seeing now it's great that we have uh, more energy independence, but also more alternatives in the wake of the Russia-Ukraine crisis. And agree with you on the critical minerals. Hopefully, though, we have some wizardly ways of innovating our, ourselves around that. And also on a mass basis, it's not great, but it's you know definitely on a dollar and on a mass basis, I think much, much lower than the reliance on oil. So I, I, I take more of the optimistic approach uh, there, acknowledging the, the challenges. I mean, t- to me, the, the one thing that's fun is watching the emerging industries and watching the, everything evolve, right? So um, I've been doing, spending a lot of time in hydrogen, or if you look at, you know, future technologies, um, I, I guess a lot of people get wrapped around the wheel because solar and wind are, are primary what the big bets are today, right? And so there's there's people that don't like the solar fields, the, the, the amount of coverage, they, they're just not wild about that. Um, you know, I, I hear things about humming and, and risks and, and all kinds of different things that they, they seem to complain about. Um, I haven't experienced that, uh, living in Europe, we had solar on the building, we had geothermal, um, running our heating. Um, you know, there, there were a number of things in place that if you build the building from the ground up with, I, I think it's, it's, it's marginal cost to construction and, and it, it makes sense, you know, the right insulation, the right windows and all, all the things that, that we know we want to do. Um, it's there, but you know, I, I'm looking for the innovation and that that's part of what excites me. Uh, so many of the folks like myself that came from technology, we're in telecom have moved over because so much of the, the energy transition is about software and managing and, and, and being efficient. For me, it's just a fun, fun journey with what I believe, um, is a positive outcome if, if we, if we make the journey. Um, so it's interesting to see how, how it's going to how it's going to go and, and to continue to talk to innovators in the space and also to talk to people that are more the legacy companies you know the ones that are doing things that are there you know are they doing carbon capture are they keeping their turbines running longer um are there things happening that that, that we should keep an eye on because I, I don't think it's all the shiny new stuff i mean there's plenty in the pipeline that people are doing heat pumps aren't brand new maybe the technology that's advancing them is and the software is getting better but they're not a brand new invention I'm also really excited, Chris, for the technology piece and en- an engineer. Uh, I started off in hydrogen, actually, uh, way back when. I also, I've worked on the the software side. So I agree. I think that's um, what gets me excited as well. What is particularly encouraging compared to, let's say, 10, 15 years ago is, yes, while there is still a, a debate, there seems like much more alignment and less resistance 10, 15 years ago. You still had oil companies and utility companies trying to put on the brakes or distract or divert attention or deny. I think now, like you said, you've got oil and gas companies investing in carbon capture, investing in geothermal. You've got utilities rolling out batteries to their uh, to their ratepayers, to the customer base. And so it does seem like there's much more alignment 
globally around energy transition. This is happening. Yes, there's going to be questions about exactly which technology or incentive structures or business models, but it's all all green for go. And uh, I'm really excited to see where that goes. Well, I am too. Um, you know, just keeping this kind of short for this this week, just to get a little perspective of what's going on. Um, I think you got a little taste of how Jeff and I look at the world and what we're thinking about uh, as we have guests on the program. Or if you have guests you want to hear on the program, please go on the website to just a guest. Uh, 90 some odd percent of our guests are by invitation only, but we do look for interesting guests and things that you want to hear. If they're topics that we haven't covered yet, uh, drop us a note. Tell us what you want to hear more about. We're always looking for interesting companies, looking for interesting ideas, someone doing something unconventional, or even someone doing something at scale. Uh, love to hear about that as well. Don't be shy. Um, just so you're aware, I'm off to a couple shows. So I'll be meeting a lot of folks in the industry. I'm in Las Vegas next week. Uh, I think a week or two after that, I'm back in Houston. So if you're in one of those markets and you want to catch up and meet us at a show, drop a note. We're happy to do that. Jeff, I think it's it's been good sharing a little bit of our insight today. Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up this episode? That's great. I'll also be out at the Verge Conference at the end of October. Uh, looking forward to meeting people there. And uh, we'll also post inviting guest ideas. And great to talk to you today, Chris. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, as always, it's great. We have fun when we catch up. For our audience, we hope you've enjoyed a little glimpse behind the scenes, and we'll talk to you again next week on Insider's Guide to Energy. Bye-bye.